everyone. This is Ali Amagasu welcoming you to the latest episode of Cloud Unfiltered. Today we are happy to welcome Dan Kahn, the Executive Director of CNCF. Welcome, Dan. Thanks, Ali. Great to be here. Glad to have you. We have been uh, doing a lot of in-house guests for a while. It was getting a little too cozy, so we're happy to have someone from the outside straighten us out and uh, let us know what's going on uh, outside our own walls. Um, if you've listened to the show before, you know that uh, the way we always start is by asking our guests how they got into tech. So how did you get into tech? I think I, uh, I, I don't like to think of myself as one of the older guests that you've had here, but I suspect that I, I maybe have been in tech from, for longer than most of them. When I was an undergrad in 1993, I started up uh, one of the very first internet companies and we uh, created a music store on the web, actually even before the launch of Mosaic, which was the first web browser. So it was originally gonna be text-based, and then as soon as we saw Mosaic and the web, we knew that that was the future. And so uh, it was called NetMarket. I set up the very first music store on the web, conducted the first secure commercial transaction, had the first uh, commercial database-backed website, and then sold that to a, a multi-billion dollar membership services company way back ancient history in 1994, and have been in tech in different ways ever since then. Wow, that's a pretty auspicious uh, leap into tech. <laughs> and, and for the record, if you were an undergrad in 1993, you were not even close to being one of our oldest guests. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, longest in tech, I guess, was my, right. my possibility. And definitely longest on the web, probably, was the... Um, but anyway, uh, I, yeah, so I, I started there and then um, worked for Intel Communications for Craig McCaw in Seattle for a number of years, including with his um, Internet in the Sky satellite venture, Teledesic, that Elon Musk now has a kind of a new version of that he's going to be launching with uh, launch cost one-tenth of what they used to be. And then I was a uh, venture capitalist in Silicon Valley, and I've been working with the Linux Foundation in different ways for uh, almost a decade now. So I was the chief operating officer there when it was a much smaller organization. Then I left and did a couple tech startups and shoppable ads and um, trying to improve MRI quality. And then joined back just about two years ago as the executive director of the Cloud Native Computing Foundation. And this is the nonprofit open source foundation that hosts Kubernetes, Prometheus, and a number of other technologies for the cloud. What drew you to the Linux Foundation in the first place? Were you really involved as a contributor? Uh, what was that? Oh, I just um, was always amazed by Linux and, and open source and just saw it as this incredibly uh, innovative new way of, of developing technology. And so all the way back at Teledesic, we were using Linux all through the uh, venture funding I was doing. I was seeing it more and more and taking the place of Solaris. And so. Uh, when I got to know Jim Zemlin, the executive director, uh, he he convinced me to come on uh, pretty early on, and uh, when it was a much much smaller organization. Excellent. Well, I'm glad you mentioned uh, the Cloud Native Com Compute Computing uh, Cloud Native Computing Foundation. Um, that was, you know, the primary reason we asked you on. It's interesting. A lot of our guests um, reference CNCF. They'll throw it off as they're talking about Kubernetes or their involvement Hopefully in- Hopefully not in a mean way. <laughs> no, not at all. It's mentioned all the time. <laughs> and I think there's an assumption that all of our audience knows what CNCF is. And I think most do. Um, some don't though. And um, I'm quite certain though, that even those who know who it, you know, what it is, don't necessarily understand its genesis, don't know all the products mm -hmm. that are, you know, the projects that fall under it. And uh, so 
I think having you on here is going to help because it's going to kind of round out everybody's knowledge about CNCF. So to start, can you tell me how CNCF started and what its mission is? Sure. So the way to think of it is that we're a nonprofit open source software foundation. We host projects kind of like the way that OpenStack does or Apache Software Foundation or the Linux Foundation. But I think it's kind of more interesting to think of it from an economic and social standpoint where uh, just go back to 2015, not that long ago, and Google had this pretty exciting internal project they were working on called, called Kubernetes that was based on the previous 15 years of work that they'd done with their own internal container orchestration platform, Borg. And they said, okay, we wanna offer this through Google Cloud. We think there's um, a ton of opportunity here, but we, don't, we want it to be open source, but we don't think it can reach its full potential unless a lot of other companies and individuals get involved in it. And um, companies like Red Hat and Huawei and uh, very importantly, Cisco, we're all excited about it, we're all on board, and we're happy with the engineering decisions that Google had made to that date. I thought that the project had fantastic bones, but um, didn't want Google to have full control over it going forward. They, they wanted there to be a, a process where uh, contributors, outside contributors, folks from other companies could get involved. So uh, they came to the Linux Foundation and decided to create this uh, sub-foundation called CNCF, the Cloud Native Computing Foundation. And people think of the Linux Foundation as being behind Linux, and it is, and that's still its, its biggest and best known project. But uh, Linux Foundation today actually consists of uh, several dozen different sub-projects. The biggest ones are CNCF, Hyperledger for blockchain, automotive-grade Linux, and uh, there's a new extended one called Linux Foundation Networking, which is a roll-up of a bunch of the different networking projects, which, again, Cisco is involved in uh, in many different ways. So they came and they created CNCF, and that was just a little bit over two years ago. And bluntly, the first few months were a little rough when you have a new software foundation and you have a kind of a complicated structure behind it. And there's just a lot of people saying, oh, what's the purpose of this? What's the messaging? Uh, is this the Kubernetes foundation? Is it supposed to be more than just Kubernetes? And sort of starting out anything can be kind of hard. And so when I joined, Kubernetes was the only project in it. We have this um, technical oversight committee that provides independence of technical decisions and they had some conflicts and some issues with the governing board. And so it's just taken a little bit of time to sort of figure out why we're here and our, our processes and, and such. But thankfully, I'm, I'm really pleased to report that two years later, things are, are really going like gangbusters, where uh, Kubernetes was just the first project to graduate last week, so that part's going well. We just um, brought in our 17th project this morning, Nats, that I can tell you about that on the messaging side. And so, on, um, and, and just more generally, I think folks are seeing the marketing value of being part of CNCF and having it as a signpost around project quality to say, not that you must use all 17 projects together. I'm not sure that there's any enterprise that is actually using all of them today, but um, that, oh, the projects in CNCF are well thought out, uh, relatively well managed, that they work well together, and um, that there's some values to having it hosted by a neutral body. What do you mean when you say that uh, Kubernetes graduated? Is it no longer so part of CNCF? A, uh, no, 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 we get that a lot. The, the college metaphor is a little, a little problematic on that, on that side. But no, all the the projects come in, uh, the main ones, to an incubating level, okay. and that's just saying that we're going to help them establish some practices 
um, and particularly around governance and, and how the projects are run. And then uh, when they pass us of all of those milestones, they graduate. But it's still hosted by CMCF. It doesn't graduate and leave home. It sort of graduates got it, got it. back home. I hear nothing but good things about the way that that community is run, um, the Kubernetes community. And about that's, their that's nice to hear. I'm, I'm not sure that I can say the same thing. I think well, the, you're the, in the middle probably, of it, right? <laughs> the most negative thing I can say is that it's it's genuinely one of the fastest growing uh, or highest velocity collaborative environments in history. I mean, only Linux as an open source project is is higher speed, and Wikipedia has more people working it, on it. But it, it, when you're trying to coordinate thousands and thousands of developers and who often are opinionated and, and have different viewpoints on things, there, there's inevitably some conflict. But I, I am really pleased to say that the community now seems to be running quite well. They have a governance structure in place. And um, a lot of those issues are being dealt with in a way that I think people generally feel like is fair and reasonable. Cool. You mentioned uh, that there are 17 projects now under CNCF. Mm -hmm. And um, obviously, Kubernetes, I think, is the most well-known. You mentioned a new one, Nats, I think. Uh, can right. you talk about that one? And can you talk about what are some of the other more well-known ones or the more exciting ones? Um, we think of cloud native as being a destination and that there's many different routes to get there. And uh, we have a map that we built of the ecosystem that I, I would uh, encourage your readers to take a look at. Maybe you could include in the show notes. The URL for it is landscape.cncf.io, or you can just go to l.cncf.io. And that lists almost 500 different projects and products in uh, the ecosystem that we're aware of and that we kind of keep track of and it lets you sort through those and view them in such in different ways. But within CNCF, and we list our 17 projects at the top, the ones that are best known are Kubernetes and then a monitoring solution called Prometheus, which is used pretty much ubiquitously with, with Kubernetes, but interestingly works extremely uh, well also with Mesos and Docker Swarm and OpenStack, virtual machines, other kinds of environments. Uh, and then there's a Ingress project, a service mesh called Envoy. It was originally developed by the team at Lyft and used internally there. And it's a way of deploying um, how your traffic gets to all of the different services, how the different microservices connect together, and then includes a lot of functionality about how you can deploy out to uh, like canary deploys to new versions to test that things work correctly and your ingress to the internet and has some security implications on top of it. And then NATS, our newest one, is a messaging platform. So uh, when you want to do extremely high speed, publish, subs subscribe, pub sub, and um, other kinds of uh, messaging mechanisms, it really uh, works quite well. It's very well suited for working with Kubernetes. Is it easy to get involved with uh, CNCF and get involved in any of these open source projects? It is. Uh, really, the best way to do it is to just engage directly with the projects if you're a developer and uh, try them out. So from cncf.io, you can list, you can go to the projects page and see all 17 projects and pick one to download. And then what we encourage is to just try it out. And if you run into problems with it, and there's an error in the documentation, or you see a bug, or there's something about your environment that you need, then please submit a pull request back. And uh, that's really how almost all the uh, committers and, and, and maintainers of the project get involved, just they start with it and have some itch that they need to scratch. Um, <laughs> 
Now, for companies, we very much encourage them to become uh, members of CNCF, uh, but I do want to emphasize that there's no requirement to do that. A any, all the software is open source. It's all Apache licensed. Everyone's welcome to uh, make use of it without becoming a member, but we do very much appreciate the fact that we have almost 200 members, including um, 39 end-user members and supporters at different levels who uh, are, are both major companies, huge finance companies, um, very cool, like New York Times, Reddit, Wikipedia, oh. Goldman Sachs, eBay. But there's, I, I always hesitate to do the list because there's like a lot of other cool ones in there. A lot of very neat little startups. Um, and then another really fantastic way of sort of learning about the community or drinking from the fire hose is to come to one of our events. And so we're doing uh, three this year. The first one is just seven weeks away in Copenhagen. Uh, is KubeCon Europe, and we're going to have the maintainers of almost all these projects, the leaders of the different Kubernetes special interest groups, and a number of different work groups, and then uh, it's three days of, of talks, and it's a community orchestrated conference. The, the papers are selected based on a, a program committee, and uh, it's really grown enormously, where when I, the first two of these events three years ago were 500 people, and we had over 4,200 folks in Austin a few months ago, and we're actually expecting to exceed that in, in Copenhagen. And then our, our biggest event of the year is in Seattle in December, um, but a month before that, we're gonna be doing our first event in China, which will be KubeCon Shanghai, November 14th and 15th. Wow. So it sounds, I was going to ask if you did these semi-annually, it sounds like you have them quarterly. Uh, no, uh, we try and do, basically, I guess we do now, but we try and do uh, Europe in the spring, North America in the winter, and then we're adding in um, China in the fall. So it's a lot. And especially as they've grown bigger, um, it, it, there's a lot of involved in trying to get everyone together. When's your next uh, North American KubeCon? Seattle, December uh, 11th through 13th. Okay, great. Just for anybody who can't make the hop over to Copenhagen, you know? Yeah. But hopefully, uh, if you really want to get involved in the community, come to both. But, <laughs> <laughs> and then um, I also want to mention there's we have a ton of meetups is another really good way of getting involved. And so, again, if you go to cncf.io under community, you can um, see the 130 meetup groups that we have in many of the major cities around the world. And they um, often meet monthly. Uh, and it's another another good way to get in, inserted into the community. So if you want to learn about it, obviously going to one of these, going to a meetup or going to a KubeCon would be a terrific way. But do you have other um, training or certification programs that people can get involved in? Yeah. So thanks for asking. We, we do have um, a free course on edX, which is a really great introduction to Kubernetes and um, I'm really thrilled that we now have had 24,000 people sign up for that course from 52 different countries. And so it's pretty cool to see that those numbers keep growing. And then if you sort of take that and say, oh, yeah, I really want to, you know, make this a focus of my you know, software development expertise, then we have a paid $300 course, which is an intermediate level um, become get, really get to know Kubernetes. And then uh, with that, you can take an online exam. And this is something that we developed that we think is pretty cool. It's not a multiple choice test. It, it actually spins up seven different clusters and you have to then configure them and fix bugs in them. Um, and it's a little stressful because there's a, a proctor watching you over the webcam uh, to make sure wow. that you didn't get up and have your friend come and take over. Uh, right. But at the end of that, you can become a certified Kubernetes administrator, which is a, 
Uh, we've had over a thousand folks do that, and, and we think that's going to be helpful from a career standpoint, being able to put on your LinkedIn and such. So just to clarify, so you pay for the certified Kubernetes administrator course, and uh -huh. but the other one is free, the one that the 24,000 people signed up yeah, for? Yeah, so, so the introduction, uh, so the certified Kubernetes administrator is the exam, yeah. and there's an intermediate level um, course that you can also pay for, mm -hmm. but the intro level course is completely free and is a really great way of getting started on this. I mean, so if you're, if you like video, I really recommend trying the edX course. And that's, again, you can get to it off cncf.io. Um, for those of us who find video annoying, I also think uh, the kubernetes.io has pretty good documentation and you can just go there. And uh, there's also a set of interactive um, learning pieces where you can go through and, and spin up a little cluster and try different things with it. Do any of the other projects that fall under CNCF have similar training yet, or is Kubernetes just kind of way ahead of the rest? That's the first one, and, and we're, we're basically looking to add on other pieces to it for some of the other projects. But uh, in general, for this space, Kubernetes is, is really a good place to get started. I would imagine. So I, I don't want to take you too far back, but when you were mm -hmm. talking earlier about the 17 projects that fall under your purview there. Uh, you talked about, you mentioned 500 projects. I'm trying to understand how those, they feed up. Are, are they not part of CNCF or are they, how do they all fit in their products and projects? I think you said. Yeah, so um, we have this kind of crazy diagram and you can see it if you go to that landscape.cncf.io and there's a little link um, right at the top to landscape. Yeah. And it, it, what it does is looks at an architecture diagram of the cloud native space and say, hey, orchestration where uh, Kubernetes plays is a really important part of it, but so is cloud native storage, so is cloud native networking, monitoring, tracing, logging, that there's all of these different um, parts of the ecosystem. And most enterprises, as they deploy this, are going to need at least one solution in each of these areas. Um, and so the idea of this cloud-native landscape is that we're saying, hey, cloud-native is a destination. That's where you want to get to. But uh, you can pick your own combination of projects, uh, either open source projects or a closed source product or service that can provide these different services. And um, what we're trying to do is provide this some relatively unbiased taxonomy of saying, yeah, here's our awareness of every offering in this space. And um, so we did this interactive landscape is kind of useful on it because it shows how many GitHub stars the different projects have, how much funding the companies have. It includes the last few tweets so you can see that they actually still are alive and breathing and kind of what's new for each of them. And um, hopefully it's going to be a real resource for practitioners in this space as they, you know, when you get started, you're probably your initial focus is CICD, continuous integration, continuous delivery, orchestration. But later on, when you say, oh, I need a secure um, storage for my secrets and for my keys, should I use Vault from HashiCorp or should I use uh, KeyWiz from Pinterest? And that ability to come in and see, okay, well, what are the options out there and decide between them? Hopefully it's going to be useful for folks. Yeah, it sounds like it would be tremendously useful. I think especially because it seems kind of agnostic. Just, hey, here's how many, you know, stars it has. Here's, uh, you know, what's being said about it. Yeah. Uh, use it or don't use it. Um, but I think well, we do put a nice little blue box around the CNCF one. So you can oh, at least know which our projects <laughs> are. But uh, we're definitely not trying to say it's the only option for you. Well, and that begs the question for me, how 
do you decide what becomes a CNCF project? Because I know having been uh, involved with OpenStack before, you know, they went through some growing pains where they you know, went with the big tent idea and mm -hmm. they were they were trying. It was it was a really good idea, I think, on some on some level where we're not going to make the decision for you. We're not going to force you into Nova Network. No. You can uh, go with Neutron. You can do what you want. But um, mm -hmm. uh, I think eventually it got out of control or it became unmanageable. I'm not sure what caused them to pull back. Um, and to kind of shut things off a little bit more, try to control things more. But uh, what kind of guidelines are you operating under? And do you think a, a Big Ten approach is a good idea or not? Yeah. Well, the first interesting part is I don't actually get to decide what new projects come in. And the governing board, which is um, the companies that are funding CNCF, and, and it's basically all the biggest public clouds and um, all the biggest enterprise software companies and lots of startups, they don't get to decide either. Instead, and I think it is partially based on the experience they've seen with OpenStack and ITF and Apache and trying to learn from some of our predecessors, they've appointed, excuse me, a group of nine independent architects um, who are top technology folks. So it's folks like uh, Brian Grant of Google, um, Alexis Richardson of WeWorks, Camille Fournier of a hedge fund company, Two Sigma. And they take the role very seriously that um, projects that would like to be hosted by uh, CNCF come to the TUC. We have two calls a month and they're public. And anyone can participate and we encourage that and say, okay, here's our technology. Here's how we think it fits in to this cloud native ecosystem. Um, here's who we're competitive with. And they put together a set of principles which says that um, you know, all the projects need to be open source, they need to be under the Apache license, they need to be relatively well run. But interestingly, they've not said, oh, and we can only have one project in a box. And so they very explicitly, uh, for example, in the container runtime, we have both um, Rocket and Container D. In the service mesh, we have Linkerd and Envoy. And so there, there's an, um, and I, I think there'll be more competition uh, going forward even. And so, uh, but what they are saying is, okay, well, any project we accept into CNCF, we do think needs to be a good choice. It needs to be a well-run project and something that we can recommend. And they haven't done it yet, but I know that they're actually fairly eager to also deprecate projects. So at a certain point, if the development slows down enough and, and technology is going a different direction, then they are going to um, retire it in some sense. Uh, Interesting. Oh. Sorry about that. No, um, okay. Yeah. And yeah. so the, the other piece, but I, I don't want to say that our process is sort of totally locked down. There's still um, a, an earlier stage that we have, uh, that we've called the sandbox, but I, or inception, but I think we're about to rename it. So there's a little debate going on on what the new name is going to be. But the idea is that we would like to have a way for earlier stage projects to get involved and it is supposed to be somewhat like the big tent idea. And it is trying to shine a spotlight on them saying, hey, this is a promising project. It's worth um, considering, worth evaluating, but um, isn't of the same maturity as our incubating projects and definitely not of, of our graduated projects. And so we're still, I would say, refining this and trying to find the right balance um, between these different uh, pieces to say, uh, the right kind of messaging to potential end users. So when projects come and they, they want to be included or, or people representing projects want to be included in CNCF, are they coming for the same reasons that Google created it in the first place or, or what is the advantage? What's the advantage of being part of CNCF? 
I'd say fundamentally there's two basic ones. We provide a set of services to the projects. And so nobody's really interested in hosting today because everybody's on GitHub and, you know, a mailing list isn't that exciting. Um, but the fact that we um, can help you set up a conference, we've done security audits of our projects, we can uh, pay for different kinds of software tools. So there, there's a set of services that we offer that are useful. I, I don't think any of them are sort of life or death, but it is nice, uh, especially because most maintainers are very busy people and they um, don't necessarily want to handle it sometimes called the administrivia. Um, and then the other piece of it is the marketing side. And so today, I think um, many CNCF projects are seen as the sort of standard bearers or the best way of deploying new cloud infrastructure. And so I think a lot of the projects are interested in that kind of Peloton effect um, of riding with Kubernetes and some of our other projects. And not that when you get into CNCF, things are set for you. I mean, among other things, you have to keep maintaining the project and it has to live right. up to the quality you've already had. But I definitely think it's the case that when projects come into CNCF, a lot of end users at least are going to seriously consider it and say, oh, I really need to evaluate that. And, you know, maybe I'm not going to use Jaeger for tracing. Uh, maybe I'm going to use um, some proprietary solution or Zipkin or, or Skywalking or something else, but I, I really at least need to be aware of it. And that awareness, I think, has a lot of value for open source developers. I would think so. That totally makes sense. Um, I had one more question on my list I wanted to ask before we uh, before we wrapped up here, and it's it's kind of a large pivot from what we've been talking about so far. It's the serverless working group. I've heard that there's yeah. a CNCS serverless working group. Um, tell me about that. Sure. So there's um, I have this uh, kind of funny chart that talks about the history of the cloud. And I, I go back to the year 2000 when I was working as a venture capitalist and companies used to come and say, oh, I need two million dollars to buy Sun hardware in order to launch my app. It wasn't an app at the time to launch my website. And then I can see if there's demand for it. And so then talking about how much virtual machines with uh, Amazon, Amazon Web Services and OpenStack changed that, that now you can. Uh, turned a capex into an opex, and um, uh, sort of transformed that that things were so much more cost effective. And now we have this cloud native revolution of saying we well, can containerize it, and it's so much more efficient to run lots of different services together. You can split up your application into microservices and then orchestrate them. And uh, in this chart, I sort of show a new. A paradigm coming along every few years and the question would come up oh well aren't containers just a flash in the pan oh. and uh, serverless is going to supplant that and um, nobody will be using uh, this or kubernetes stuff in a couple years so we put together the service serverless working group to help kind of examine that and, and what they've been able to do is a couple useful things um, first of all they just put together a taxonomy and said, oh, these are the different ways of looking at serverless. Here's some of the frameworks. Here's some flat platforms. Here's some ways that you can build serverless on top of Kubernetes, so what we call Kubernetes native platforms. And we've then integrated that um, serverless landscape that they built into the interactive landscape. But um, if you want to just look at the serverless piece of it, there's a shortcut, which is you can go to s.cncf.io, and that um, connects you to the serverless, uh, just shows you the serverless subset. But um, they're also beginning to evaluate different technologies and particularly um, a neat approach called cloud events, which is a way of abstracting out some of the 
um, specific event streams that the different major public clouds offer and trying to offer some interoperability between that. And I, I feel like what the serverless white paper that they issued a couple weeks ago, that's um, a very good introduction to the space and read, but what it's really trying to say is that rather than seeing serverless as an entirely new paradigm that's going to kind of destroy the things before it, that um, it, it really is on a continuum of how long your services are, um, run, so, you know, long-running ones versus ones that can just run for a couple of minutes um, and stop, uh, how they respond to events. And our belief is that serverless can be a, a really valuable aspect of the cloud-native ecosystem. So um, that working group is helping to, to define some of those areas. That's really exciting. And I think that uh, the, the landscape that you talked about, the part that's dedicated to serverless would be so useful to so many people who are really struggling to kind of digest what serverless means. How are they going to incorporate that? Will it be useful? Um, can you repeat the, uh, the URL? Yeah, it, it's s as in serverless.cncf.io. And I will, I just launched this landscape last week. So I, I am excited wow. about it. It's worth uh, spending some time playing with. And also, if you see bugs in it, please open a pull request. It's entirely open source. Um, and it's uh, really meant as an ongoing resource. But I will give uh, one piece of insight into it, which is we pull from GitHub to see how many contributors uh, each project has, how, what the first commit was, what the most recent commit was. And so then one of the things that we can offer, and that, that's actually pretty valuable, is to look at projects that sort of came out, were super exciting, folks were eager to work on them, and then they've kind of actually feet. Mm -hmm. And... We haven't set these. If you haven't, if a project hasn't been updated in the last four months, it's uh, probably not under active development anymore, and probably not something that you really want to adopt for your uh, for your organization. And we're looking at something similar for closed source uh, to look at tweets, where if you have a promising startup, you're probably tweeting on it at least once a week. And if we sort of haven't heard from you for six months or more, um, then it might be worth having you drop off the landscape. Makes sense. If you're not tweeting about it at least once a day, you're not trying very often. Yeah. <laughs> As someone who's in marketing. <laughs> yes, that's exactly the case. And so, uh, but it, it is nice to have that centralized resource. Um, again, when you pick an area like a framework or a library or a platform and say, okay, well, what are the active efforts underway right here, both closed source and open source? That's great. Well, Dan, this has been incredibly enlightening for me. Um, Really, I've learned a lot today, and I'm, I'm sure our listeners have as well. Is there anything that you wanted to cover that I didn't touch on? No, this is um, this has been great. And, you know, I, I'd potentially love to come back if you'd have me uh, every few quarters and can tell you about some of our new projects and some of the updates since then. We would love that. I'm finding we, we have a need to um, start recycling guests on the show because things <laughs> that they said three months ago are now old hat. They are, yes, you know, I'm going to say, oh, serverless, that was so last month. Now it's all AI and <laughs> over or whatever. It's going to be the yeah. next big thing. So we definitely <laughs> welcome you back for, for future visits. If anybody um, does want to keep up with you besides the URLs you've already provided, are you active on Twitter? Do you have a handle people can follow? I, I am. So I'd love for folks to take a look. It's dancon1, D-A-N-K-O-H-N-1. And uh, I'm pretty active there. And it's a good way of seeing at least my perspective on the cloud native world. Excellent. And does CNCF have its own handle? Uh, we do. It's um, a little hard to spell. It's uh, cloud uh, native FDN for foundation. So right. at cloud native FDN. Native FDN. 
Mm -hmm. right, listeners, you got what you need now if you want to follow mm -hmm. this uh, Cloud Native journey and the Cloud Native Computing Foundation. Uh, Dan, again, it's been a pleasure. I look forward to having you back. And uh, thanks, thanks for being so on Cloud Unfiltered. Yeah. I really appreciate it. All righty. Bye-bye.